0: This is the DLR cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, heard you missed us. We are back. It's the DLR cast, <laughs> the only podcast by and for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. And as always, I am back here with my partner in crime of all things, Dave Dangerous Darren Paltuis. How you doing, Darren? It's been a while. I guess I don't know if we're technically on our summer hiatus, but um, you know, we're back.
1: Yeah, we, we had sweeps week, and <laughs> now now we're waiting for the summer replacement series, is, but th- they're delayed, so I guess, you know, have to do an episode or two for the people, right? the thousands and thousands of people who have been calling for more commentary about David Lee Roth, so here we are.
0: Well, I'll tell you, man, speaking of David Lee Roth, of course, I love the start of summer because, as you know, Summer means, and this is the third straight annual, David Lee Roth and the Mambo Slammers All-Stars going out on the road. And who knows who will be playing guitar now? Nuno Betancourt is with, ex, out yeah. with Extreme, we know. Uh, Steve Stevens may be doing some dates with Billy Idol. Of course, who knows if Michael Anthony will ever show up again? And I know everybody wants to know if Wolfie's ever going to show up. That's never going to happen. But as we've seen in years past, David Lee Roth and the Mambo Slammers All-Stars brings it, kind of model after the ring ringo star and his all-star band sort of thing bringing it to a shed near you a little bit of van halen some old blues covers some odds and ends maybe a horn section in la like you did to you wait a minute hold on a second wait i'm on earth too i'm sorry <laughs> we're back on earth one in the reality world we got a lame cover of atomic punk that came out last week yeah and yet another incoherent podcast god damn it
1: uh and and a dance video too and
0: a dance video yes Tell me David Lee Roth and the Mambo Slammers All-Stars is not a great idea. Like, dude, I got this mapped out. He could be doing Jones Beach and all sorts of places. This could be a yearly event. I had this all planned out in 45 minutes and two and a half beers on a hot summer Sunday afternoon yesterday in the Midwest. Come on.
1: Yeah, it it really goes back to earlier episodes that we talk about. When When you look at some of Dave's peers and what it is that they're doing, people who are around the same age, who are not singing as great that they used to be, but they still got that big smile. You look at what David Coverdale and Whitesnake have been doing the last five, 10 years. You look at Cheap Trick. Now, Cheap Trick was never close to as big as Van Halen was at their peak. But you look at what Cheap Trick does. You look at what Todd Rundgren does. You look at Sticks and Ario Speedwagon. There's so many things that people are able to do Alice Cooper okay the list can just keep going on and on right and on. right all right. yeah but but you look at what people who realize okay I'm not as great as I once was but here's what we can still give the world and it's not impossible for Dave to hit the road it's not impossible for Dave to open up the archives it's so instead we get um covers are you in agreement with me that Atomic Punk is from the sessions for May, 2022, over oh, a year ago? Yeah, it sure sounds like it. It's, I. Could, yeah. it's,
0: listen, maybe lame is too strong a word. Again, once again, with these Van Halen covers, not needed, not necessary, uh, they're not fully produced. I mean, it's just, but this one in particular, rhythmically, reminded me that you just cannot, there's some things that cannot be replicated. And wow. that rhythm section of the van halen dna cannot be
1: right well um, on some
0: songs i mean obviously dave's been covering van halen songs for years but as far as what we heard on record you know all these songs sometimes sounded a half a beat i i like some of the ideas where he takes a couple left turns at the end and some different things like that but it's a weird it's the whole thing strikes me as sort of weird in sound and no knock on the on the great musicians that are on this thing because they're all really great it just seems like it's trying to take a risk, but also play it safe at the same time. I can't figure it out.
1: So my anonymous sources, I asked them what I could, and they did confirm that these are from the May sessions, that Dave has not been in the studio, and that when Dave is doing the podcast dance thing, he is not doing music. So unless he's fired and replaced that original band he's just been on music hiatus so people that know stuff are like yeah we're not waiting for the call anytime soon dave might not do music again that's their kind of yeah and
0: we pretty much knew that i mean that's what i think we're we've all come to expect right
1: that's not where i was at personally because i i look at the the dave the usual two to three year cycle And he goes, I'm done with the spotlight. And then he's out of the spotlight for a year, year and a half. He goes, I need that spotlight. I thought he would be back with a couple of shows, some Vegas shows. That's really what I thought. I thought that that Home Depot corporate gig was the sign that he was coming back in the near future. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, the whole thing is, I love that cycle that you speak of, but we're running out of time here you know? Yeah. That I mean, so if you're legitimately real petrified for good reason about COVID and anything else, uh, you know, the fact that you're throwing that whole throwing in the shoes thing never made too much sense to me unless you're, I, I just, it's still a weird mystery to me because that could have easily been re- rescheduled. And listen, you can yeah. have my David Lee Roth and the Mambo Slammers All-Stars for free, but that's yeah. an idea for free. But that sort of thing with a this is when you have really we've talked about this before, what the things that from an artistic standpoint would be so cool to see in here. Right. I mean, everybody yeah. wants to Van Halen songs, but those hardcore fans, if you were working and building up this. brand, Listen, 30 years ago, Ringo Starr couldn't sell it. a sell out a freaking, you know, couldn't sell out a, a Jones Beach size shed, but he built this great brand up. Where you went to go see it because it was a sterling group of rotating fantastic musicians. Greg Bissonette, hello. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not saying it's got to be exactly like that, but Dave could have had like anybody playing with him and go out. Th- listen, we're talking 20 dates tops in major markets every summer. Hit the sheds, clean up, have a few guest stars, burnish this reputation. People go and people walk away from there, going, "Fuck, he sounded great on Panama." Yeah, can you believe Justin Timberlake? That was awesome. And and there were maybe a couple of surprises there, which reminds me of, to bring up something else here that I only just discovered. Because as I was just taking a couple quick notes, and I had this Mambo Slammers idea in my head right before we got on. I went, "Wait a minute, all my shit's packed up. Where's my book? Because I'm in the middle of a move." And I'm like, right. "Do I have it right, Mambo Slammers?" So I just Googled Mambo, Mambo Slammers. And I, yes, that was the name of that band. It just I, for, I panicked for a minute. I'm like, wait, was it something else? Well, what came up in Google was five different videos from VH Village from six years ago, all with a thousand less than a thousand views. Yeah. David Lee Roth and the Mambo Slammers. There's six videos. My Old School by Steely Dan. Are you kidding me? Free Ride with Edgar Winter. These are, these are all the tunes from 95 from the Vegas residency. Yeah. And um, Love TKL by Teddy Pendergrass. Hard to handle by Black Rose. The sound is sketchy in bits and pieces, audience recordings in places. but his voice sounds great. Man, and I brought this up before, the covers. He could be just blowing the roof off places, surprising the shit out of people, doing three or four songs in that sort of all-star setting. Three or four cool covers. Shine a Little Love by ELO. Hello, Mojo Dojo. (laughs) And some of these other cool covers. You know, you open with a couple of Van Halen tunes, fine. Open with "You Really Got Me," fantastic. Do a couple of tunes, Segway into "Living in a, with America." Do a couple other uh, David Lee solo songs. You can easily do 16, 18 shows, 16, 18 songs in a headlining show and clean the fuck up.
1: Yes, uh, obviously, Dave has a party vibe. Kind of artistry to him, kind of like a Buffett or Sammy Hagar, for lack of a better example. So if you were to right, say, exactly,
0: I thought of him too. Of
1: course, party. And granted, when you've been partying all day. You don't really remember if Dave played for 40 minutes or 90 minutes. So, if it was all day where you get his favorite reggae band and his favorite country band and his favorite Motown thing and his favorite break dance crew, because let's face it, there's, there's a lot of attention span issues going on here. And then he just comes out at the end with the all star band and does <laughs> really just sings four songs, but he was smiling and he had a tambourine. We wouldn't feel gypped to go. We went to Dave's party. We went to see the Mojo yeah. or something like that.
0: You got to do ice cream, man. Take some chance. Take some risk. And it's not like, he listen, if you're going to do California Girls with the Beach Boys and you're going to do something, you know, jump with the Boston Pops or whatever. I mean, getting some cool players up there and then some other folks that, what was that video where he was singing? Uh, it was backstage with a soul group. Who was that? who were them? That take five or something. Take six. Yeah, I mean, do you know what I mean? Have them do a guest. Just the guys' rolodex could be mined pretty. I would hope, unless people are like, "Oh shit, no way, he's crazy. I can't work with him." <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't think that's the. Case. I don't think that's the case either. I'm just goofing, but mm.
1: yeah. I look at the. Would the A-list artists want to do it? No, probably not because. If they're not making the line share of the money, they don't want to do that. But if you look at the package tours that we see of 90s bands or 80s bands or 70s bands, there's enough stuff of people who didn't get invited on big tours or weekend warrior kind of artists that would do it. So that's not the issue. It's just...
0: Well, think of this. If he started this after Van Halen basically was done, right? Right. I mean, or not so much before we knew they were all done. But let's say, all right, 2016, we're not doing so- anything. 2017, we're not doing anything. I'm talking pre-COVID. By now, we could have had a couple years run of this thing where it's kind of an annual event like Ringo, like Sammy. You know it's a good summertime. Yeah. Get out there. And he could, I mean, just off the top of my head, some guys who I think that maybe would would dig it for a few weeks at a time, Steve Stevens, right? Yeah. If Billy Sheehan's not doing Mr. Big or, or Winery Dogs, would he come out for a little bit? doesn't have to be an Eat him and Smile reunion. Let's say Steve Vai doesn't do it. Fine, whatever. He's got his own solo thing going, all these other things going. I mean, does Bissonnette come out? If he's going to play with Ringo, would he play with Dave again? He loves Dave, of course. Okay, if it's not him, I mean, Dave's Rolodex of drummers are as long as all our arms put together, <laughs> for goodness sakes. And maybe yeah. you don't want any of those guys, but you, maybe you get some, you know, some other hotshots, shots maybe one or two guys from his band now flesh it out get that rhythm guitarist get a couple horn guys but you've got you're you're doing it you started let's say six years ago and there's some heat behind it and now it's an annual thing and people yeah. are going out there and it's about summer you can only do this in the summertime we're asking dave we're asking for no more than 90 days tops Take it easy on the road. Do a bunch of dates. Stop for four days, three more days over the just over the weekends. Hell, just go off every Friday, You know Thursday, Friday, Saturday in the sheds. That's it.
1: Yeah, I'll give you another example of somebody who's doing it right, who is nowhere near as talented as David Lee Roth, and you could uh, quote me on that permanently. Brett Michaels from Poison. Are you aware of Brett's summer tour this year?
0: I am not, but I'm not surprised. He's doing. And I know Poison and so. There's
1: it's a not whole this year.
0: No, no, but it is him. He does his own thing, I know. And it's cause it's like the smaller B-level casinos, right?
1: He stays there. Some of that. Um, but this tour at a live nation venue near you, the party gras is hitting the road. And the party <laughs> right. gras basically is a no-intermission, nothing but hits thing. So meaning, I guess there's always backline and consistent people on the stage. So it's him, and he owns the tour. I think it's called, like, Brett Michaels' Party Gras or whatever. So it's him, Night Ranger, a singer of Starship. I think it's Mickey Thomas. Um, well, Steve. Grace
0: Slick is 103, so she's not doing it. But no,
1: Mickey Thomas still goes out there, yep. Steve Augieri from Journey. Not Perry and not the current singer. Steve
0: but- Augieri. Now, here's, here's – just hold on real quick. Go back. It's yeah. in my car right now – do you know the name of the band that Steve Augieri was in before he was in Journey in like 91, which was freaking amazing. Uh, was, was he in the Storm or? No, He, I don't think he was. But I know this because I worked for the company then and begged anybody and everybody to like give this record some sort of attention. No one did. If you ever find it, look up the band Tall Stories. Oh, OK. Amazing. And that. his voice, this is 91 or 92. Amazing. I think. Managed by Bud Prager, maybe, New York band. And I was just, so when he was later in Journey in the late 90s, I'm like, I know this guy. I've got this CD, with, you know, promo CD somewhere. Got in the sidecar a little bit there. I apologize.
1: <laughs> no, I, I would say even Augeri is doing it better than Roth because not just this um, particular tour. But I remember a tour a couple of years ago. I think it was right before COVID. And it was a uh, Jason Chef, who was in Chicago for practically 30 years and another singer who bordered on rock and ballads and it was able to go to Asia for really big gigs and casinos and all that. And it's, you know, how many songs is Jason Schiff really singing? He's not singing right minutes of songs. So it's, it really comes back to, um, and if you really, really want me to sidebar, um, here, this is this is one of the biggest lessons that anyone can learn in entertainment. There was a professional wrestling company in the mid to late 90s called ECW.
0: I remember them sure.
1: The principle behind ECW was gone, we don't have the best looking people or the best wrestlers, but let's just figure out the three things you do really well. And you're just going to only do those things over and over and over and over again. OK, you're you're really fat. You'll wear a T-shirt while you wrestle. And it's totally fine. You're just a good talker. Sure. Just talk a lot. You
0: can do promos.
1: <laughs> promos. Exactly. So I think that if you take like, what is Dave still good at? There is plenty that you could put a tour around with all that. Yeah, I
0: mean it's the lost opportunity, right? He could have been doing something like this for years. And maybe right now, if he was doing it today, could it be sheds? Nope. He's got, you know, there's no, no promoter is going to book him in a shed. He couldn't draw that much. Casinos, 70 minutes on a Friday night a, in and
1: out. A tour shed. I would take you to the ground. Uh, I, What's I would all on that one, I would say a package tour shed, a Dave all day fest or a Dave plus, two or three the way that this brett michaels thing is because let's do the reality of the realistic well, math. maybe
0: it could be this mambo slammers all star sort of thing that i'm so married to but what i'm getting at it couldn't be just him and a bunch of bunch of guys no one knows
1: no but in the case of brett michaels that tour that party crowd is basically a one plus one equals seven scenario because you go Brett Michaels: Yes, Poison was huge, but I've been to a lot of Poison shows where it was a 15,000 cap place and there's 3,000 people in there. So if you go Brett, yeah, he could bring 1 to 2,000 really enthusiastic people. Night Ranger: 1 to 2,000 but probably overlapping with the Brett audience. Steve Augieri, 1 to 2,000 but overlapping with the Brett. Right. Starship: 500 to 1,000 overlapping with the same people now (laughs) i think if you do dave and a country artist that borders on rock etc and a classic rock uh, artist that you know like a lou graham or something like that that brings a different demographic and a younger artist if he did that you could get six to ten thousand people in these sheds
0: you know what you just reminded me of? We're going to go another back-in-time trivia thing. But yes. this was kind of ahead of its time. But this is – I love the idea of this. And there's this – you reminded me of this. Back in 84, members of Cheap Trick Kansas, Pablo Cruz, the Doobie Brothers, and LaRue – and I remember hearing this on, like, some live syndicated radio show back then. 1984. they spent two or three – they spent about three weeks out being they, – they, they, they did a thing called the First Airborne Rock and Roll Division. And oh. so they went out and they were the USO dropped them on aircraft carriers in the middle of the Indian Ocean, other places uh, to do these, to do these, you know, all star shows. So they would do like three or four Cheap Trick songs, three or four Canada songs, one LaRue song, I guess, but Pablo Cruz and Dewey Bros. And but that's the sort of idea all sharing the same back line. You know what I mean? And they're all, and then there's a big jam at the end. They do a great version, I know, because I went off of my rocker as a junior in high school hearing this back in 84 to age myself. But they did. there's a great version of Born to be Wild out there, the Steppenwolf song, where they're just oh. wailing it, Bunny Carlos flailing around on it. But I mean, you know, that's the sort of thing where there's so much pedigree with all these folks. Yeah. You're right. What, what, what did you say? What, uh, two plus, what, uh, what was your-
1: one, one equals seven. There you go,
0: exactly. <laughs> You know, you don't have to go out carrying the full load anymore.
1: Yeah, he doesn't have to do the best Van Halen deep cuts you've ever heard in the best versions, but he can muster up enough energy to be awesome for 20 minutes. Right. Like like your George Clinton from P-Funk, amazing and innovative artist, but the George Clinton that you've seen on stage the last 25 years is a guy who walks on and off the stage regularly occasionally sings the songs he's supposed to. <laughs> but Radham oh, random, putting out a show and kind of smiling. I
0: Yeah, I saw, of all places, this this sentence I never thought I would say altogether, but about three year, four years ago, I saw George Clinton and the P-Funk All-Stars at the Minnesota State Fair,
1: uh-huh.
0: a free show. Uh-huh. And it was the only time I've ever been in the, the Lily White Bread Minnesota State Fair where there was a contact high in the audience, <laughs> a free show. And it was great, but George went out there, kind of just sat.
1: Yeah, uh, he literally does walk on and off the stage as he feels like it. Yeah. There's one or two music directors, I think, that know what's going on. They know when George might be coming out. <laughs> it, was, it
0: was so cool, though, man, because yeah. every musician on that stage was red hot and tight because you, you have to because you don't know what's going to come next.
1: Yeah. So. I just say there's a trillion different solutions and fits if the guy wanted to do something And this business model that you've given him for no cost, but to yourself of two and a half beers and the labor of producing this podcast, that's just one of the many ideas that we can get. And I look at the podcast as that could be a super lucrative thing if it were done right in this day and age, when you have all these companies who are, They go. We've got the studio. We've got the network. You know, Westwood Ones, those kinds of operations, or all these LA-based comics who have their own podcasts of, you know, (laughs) your Whitney Cummings-level comics. (laughs) If Dave's team went to one of them and went, "Dave wants a show. Give him ten grand an episode in the studio, and don't tell him what to do." They would probably go, "Yeah, sure. We'll we'll give him ten episodes."
0: Yeah. I mean, God, there's a million ways to do this. And I, listen, I have got, I checked today, as a matter of fact, I've got enough mileage at Delta, Delta Airlines to get a, at least one free round trip ticket. I can go to LA. My sister lives in Santa Monica. I can stay there for free with her. I, I am offering these services. <laughs> a little yeah. product management, some marketing direction, I'll work with whoever's there. We could do this, man.
1: No, remember, Dave lives in the inner city. Remember? Oh,
0: shit. That's right. I forgot that. Sorry.
1: <laughs> I don't know if we spoke about this on this last podcast, but that he's mentioned living in the inner city in a few podcast episodes, which really makes me believe that these written passages or stories are just leftover things from his book because he has not lived in the inner city since 2007. Well, what inner city? He lived in Tokyo. Tokyo. Pasadena in a walled mansion, <laughs> not the inner city. <laughs> what he was living in Tokyo. <laughs> he was living in Tokyo. I I've been to Tokyo many many times. He and I think Konashiki told me that he lived in the Oakwoods, which is a corporate apartment chain. We have an Oakwoods in oh, my. Oh yeah. Um, there's, there's
0: one in L.A. that was yeah. that was famous for rock stars
1: for it's years. Yeah. It's famously called the Coke Woods because right. of drugs that would happen at the Olympics. right. right. <laughs> and so. Even if you lived in the Oakwoods, Tokyo, I wouldn't call that the inner city.
0: Yeah, I... I've I wondered, and we've speculated this too, when, not only were the content... When were these recorded?
1: Who put I, them together? I think that these are new things. Because
0: uh, some of them, there is some current stuff in there that, you know... when. Yes.
1: He's- I think they're new things, but he's reading old material. Then I think all the... Bum- are from the late 90s Dave TV thing that was on the Slaughterhouse David Lee thing. Now, I noticed something. Um, I may have had a few drinks on Saturday night, and I may have been walking home by myself. I may have watched the (laughs) 2018-2019 Dave knocking on the hotel stranger's door. I
0: can't do it, dude. It just breaks my heart.
1: (laughs) I watched it twice, and then I made Somebody else watch it, and I texted a couple of people or musicians. And I'm like, you ever see this? And I may or may not have texted somebody who works for Van Halen news desk and gone. Do you remember this? Um, everyone kind of laughed at the whole thing. Okay. But
0: besides I, alcohol, what what was your motivation for?
1: I needed to laugh, but I noticed something I never saw in there before, which is the guy holding the boom mic at the end is Tom, the engineer oh how do you know i know what tom looks like okay from from looking up you know different photos online because i was trying to figure is this an alias or is this a real guy because tom was brendan o'brien's producer like cohort or engineer for a long time he's a legit guy
0: wait brendan o'brien the producer yes
1: wow yeah, so Tom who's engineering all these things is a legitimate major producer. He's not just some assistant that Dave picked up on the what side. What the hell
0: is he holding a boom, mat, boom mic in Las Vegas? God.
1: Yeah, I I don't know like why if you're the engineer for Brendan O'Brien Records, how you go from that to holding a boom mic waiting for Dave to go on and do jump at an EDM festival. It makes you wonder if you work for Dave, do you just do whatever job is kind of needed at that moment? I suppose so.
0: Playing, I was well. Two things: one, I didn't. I will have to tell you, I did not get through. Life gets in the way, and I did not get through. And so does the lack of content, frankly. But I did not get through the last podcast episode. Um, yeah, I, I got through about the first fifteen minutes, and I'm like, I don't know. I, I have n- I've lost the plot. I'm not even sure what's going on here. Um,
1: status quo. The production is great. Tom yes. has done a great job. It's it's still uneven. It's still rambling. He's still making jokes that make him, alternately, the dumbest person in the room or the smartest person in the room. Um, you can't follow that either. <laughs> Sorry to cut you off there. But
0: No, I was going to say it, but um, every time I'm always reminded why the main reason why I listen to these at this point is to hear the background music.
1: Yeah, which he never tells you where it's from. No,
0: but we caught we caught uh, a song from the episode before last from your filthy little mouth. I was ecstatic.
1: Yeah, uh, no big ting was was there. <laughs> In this one, he used um, "Cool Pony," which is a cover we've heard once or twice before. But is that a disco song? That Cool Pony because that is know. a bizarre disco early two. I'm guessing it's the No Holds Barbecue era. Probably. Do you know what um, song I'm talking about? This cool ponies.
0: Enough. I don't know the name, of it, but I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, this it is...
1: is bizarre. Um, it kind of sounds like a, his living in America era, Dave, where there, there are these like 12 minute dance remix with drum machines and Latin percussion on drum machines and right horns. And it's it might be Mambo Slammers era, to be honest.
0: Ugh, you know, I was, it's funny because I did, when the, well, here's the question for I was going to ask you, The sorry, jumping yep. around, here. the last, the videos, these are, these are new, the 40 Second Dance, or the, what would, yes. did you see the Atomic Punk thing with the big ball?
1: Yeah, th- those from my quote unquote anonymous sources are new.
0: Okay. Did your anonymous source tell you what the point is?
1: They don't know. <laughs> They're they they're like, yeah, um, he felt like doing it. That's what he does. And then they said, you know, it reminds me of the time that I was asked to do this and I did this and it's a cool idea. And that wasn't finished. And he had an idea for this and he wanted to do this. And I did it. And that wasn't finished. and So what I'm getting at is there might be great things being created and he's just not finishing them. And for some reason. These are the things that get finished and he's going, Oh, well that's done. Get it out there. I don't think he goes back to things later. I think he feel, and yes, I just think, but in speaking with a lot of different people over the past few years, it sounds like he finds a creative burst of energy and he gets 70 to 90% of it done and goes, "Eh," and then just moves on to the next thing. But these dance videos are so quick and bite-sized that I think he can finish them. Yeah yeah does that i mean
0: it kind of does i'm reminded that you've got an hour and 10 minutes of him do of of uh 50 rides on the love train for goodness (laughs) sakes on youtube so um when he when he has his focus he does he does stay focused speaking of cool things yeah david lee roth and jason did you see uh, a few days ago last week craig bissonette posted on his channel on his youtube channel his Footage of what he called, what Dave called, his exterior drum solo from uh, the Edam and Smile tour. He used to, he st- he would stand up outside of the drum set, stand on the bass drums, and play drums. That was his solo.
1: I did not see that. But before you tell me more about that, have we talked about on on the DLRC Greg Bissonette's casino voiceover commercial?
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah, you sent me some. Yeah, it's it's him. He's, great voiceover work there. Which reminds if- me, Dave could be doing great voiceover work.
1: I forget which one of our listeners sent it, if it was Carlo or Eric Stangelo. Somebody sent me that voiceover who's somewhere in the western U.S. And you hear Greg Bissonette, who kind of speaks like Super Dave Osborne. And I mean that. Yes,
0: yes, he does.
1: Oh, my God, dude, you nailed it. And and we mean that in a great way. It's like. If you have the polyps on your vocal cords, you can go two ways. You can be super embarrassed about talking like this, or you can go, I've got the coolest voice and I'm going to show you. And I think Greg Bissonette's kind of the latter. He's showing you he's got that cool voice with that casino commercial.
0: Yeah, totally. If you get a chance, I mean, it's a rough video, (laughs) but it's, it's, it it is very cool to watch. So it was, uh, the video was taken from, um, uh, 86, of course, for, uh, Kobo arena, Detroit, Michigan, which is his home, which is Bissonette's hometown. So,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Co- is Kobo, I'm putting you on the spot here. You know how all the shows that were done in Maryland in the eighties, there's the video of those because.
0: Yes. It, Largo, Maryland or something. What is it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's Largo, Maryland and they have the video. Was Kobo also one of those, they filmed all the shows or am I making that up?
0: You, mm, you know, I'm just reminded of the fact that one of the only you just remind me of the fact that there's this great pro shot KISS concert from the Hot in the Shade tour, which there's virtually no footage of out there from, what is that, in 89, I think that was? Uh, yeah. And it's all in it, I think it might have been, it was one of the very first I can't remember if it was one of the very first shows of the tour, but it was, I think it was Kobo, but it's all pro shot, like they have all pro cameras there that were going, I think you're right.
1: Yeah, so I don't think we've seen the Van Halen Kobo stuff over the years, but wasn't that also where they did the MTV, you know, spend the weekend with Van Halen? Wasn't that a Detroit show?
0: Mm, That I don't remember, but when I was cruising uh, YouTube, I did see a link. I didn't get a chance to watch it. There's all sorts of outtakes of that from that MTV on YouTube.
1: So what I'm getting at is I think that Detroit might be the key, and this is just spitballing here, like Maryland, it might be one of those cities where you can find the treasure troves of unreleased stuff. Right. And hopefully that's the case. I mean, I'd love to see that whole Van Halen pro shot shows. I think it's the 84 tour, maybe the one before that, the 82, where they have the whole video out there. Um, I was asking some people, I one of the things I ask people when they know a lot about Van Halen is, is there a lot in the archives? Is there a lot of unreleased stuff? And I'm still getting the both ways of, oh, there's tons. Or the, no, there's just some noodling. There's just a lot of noodling. (laughs) But they don't think that there's a lot. They think that there's a couple of recorded shows, but that the band doesn't have any more than we collectors do. That's what I'm hearing.
0: Yeah, I don't, I never got the idea. I don't think that there's, say, like, you know, you always hear from bands, oh, we, we wrote 25 songs for this record and we can, and we picked the best 12. Most of the time it's bullshit, right? Um, but I don't get the idea that there's like a ton of like finished near release worthy songs from any sessions.
1: That's the vibe that I'm getting from that. And But are
0: there hours and hours of, of Eddie noodling and <laughs> and bits and pieces and snippets that go someplace or maybe go nowhere? Are there hours with Wolfgang on there, perhaps? Certainly prior to Wolfgang, there's probably just him and Alex, particularly when things are kind of drug-fueled. I mean, I would bet there's just a ton of that shit out there.
1: I think that there are... Not out there, I, 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 in the, in the I, vaults. In the vaults. But I cut you off about the, the bisnet drum uh, part, so it's on Greg's channel on YouTube?
0: Yeah, it's on Greg's channel on YouTube, it looks like, yeah. It's, um, yeah, I've, I mean, I, it's on there, and then it's, you go to bravewords.com. They have it up there. A lot of other, uh, came out just a day ago on, uh, they put it up there June 4th. So, nice. yeah, my, yeah, it's on his channel. My exterior drum solo standing on my drum set, even smile tour. He's got a fun channel.
1: He gets it. He... Totally. Gets it on every level, that guy. Totally. And he's still playing at a top level. When when you tease the, who would you have uh, playing, if you could put the, together the all-star quintessential Dave backing band, I don't think anyone's not going to say Greg Bissonette because it doesn't matter what age he is, that guy still has it right. on every level.
0: And the other thing is, it doesn't matter... What kind of music you're playing? Because that guy's chops—not to say that Ray Luzier doesn't. The guy plays with corn for Christ's sakes. But yeah. if you were to go in one set, from some blues song to some, you know, instrumental jazz standard to, you know, some and Smile tracks to Van Allen, that guy's got you covered, no problem.
1: But to play devil's advocate here, when you, when you see corn in the modern era, after a while, if you if you get really thinky, as I do, as at concerts, I don't usually space out in a blissful way i get thinky where i'm listening to the stuff a little too hard corn is basically evil disco on the drums and so if it's disco david lee roth i would want ray on the drums but if it's a non-disco set i want greg Bissonette on the drums
0: yeah i mean i i will say i've never been a big corn fan so i mean just just not really the whole cookie monster rock from (laughs) back in the mid to late 90s was never my scene not to death listen those guys They've had such staying power. God bless them.
1: You're saying you don't like slap bass and evil disco? <laughs> I I I just everything I knew about you is all wrong, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so slap in the, I, I slap in us- the bass, man yeah slap it face i took us way off tangent here but i i think the unfortunately like this is another status quo episode where you go the only new van halen stuff you're getting are basically people's recollections from articles they said that there was going to be more sammy reissues okay we we just are still hearing rumors we hear that there's That 2004 box set is still in the same place as it was. There's still rumors that they're remastering stuff. We're getting nothing there. So it's unfortunately a frustrating thing because – Christmas is six months away. You know, you you kind of want to know what you're trying to sell or push for Christmas. And I think the DLR book is the only Christmas Van Halen thing we're going to get to
0: see. That is right. Let's tell everybody about the book, Darren. Of course.
1: <laughs> well, I wasn't mean to self-plug. I was just trying to say, uh, you know, take some hints, Van Halen and Dave. Get some Christmas product out there. That's well, where I'm going with that one I think the the slow's book is now out though uh, do you know about that no does Zl- EVH by Slow's or Eddie by Slows. I think it's a specifically a photo book about Eddie by Niels Lowe's hour
0: okay
1: so we got that but I don't know I'm I'm not hearing anything I'm just hearing Butch Bill Gong
0: I don't know I don't know what Dave's doing. Yeah, I mean, no one but maybe him and Tom know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Wolfie's got his new album. Yeah, so he's busy on that end. It's Sam- a good time
0: for rock, man. The new Extreme record is amazing. Yeah, from what I've heard of it, they just put out a, a an amazing kind of mid tempo ballad last week. It was just filled with harmonies, it's incredible. That's like the fourth song they put did videos for and put out on YouTube. I mean, it's not an oxymoron to say Winger put out some amazing music. Yeah, uh, I, I can disregard as much as I'm a fan. I don't need. I'm just not a fan of bands doing things symphonic. So thank you very much for Def Leppard for playing. But you know, <laughs> last year they did put out one of their very best records. So I'll I'll, I'll be happy with that. Yeah. Um, you know, Skip latest New- album was interesting. Same with LA Guns. Yeah, uh, a lot of these guys you didn't think were around or could do it an anymore are still doing it. Um, I was also going to mention. Uh, well, of course, the Foo Fighters last Friday. That record. is really good and of course what's coming out uh dipping way back in the vaults eddie van halen adjacent brian may brian may and friends Uh, starfleet sessions
1: that's right i did get the press release on that i am trying to see who related to that will do an interview with me the pr firm handling that release They've been great to me over the years, but I think their hands are kind of tied. Obviously, Brian May is not going to speak with me.
0: Right. You got Alec Rodzer, Phil Chen, and Fred Mandel left.
1: I would like to speak with Phil Chen because do – you, do you know who he is or you just know the name? No. I Did he play with Jeff Beck? Yeah, he played with Rod Stewart, Jeff Beck. Yeah, keyboardist? Tom, no, bassist. Bassist. Bassist, correct. Right. I think he's one of those guys that knows everything.
0: Oh, God. Him like Leland Sklar, Steve Lukather, these guys who have played on, you know, I mean, just more sessions than anyone can count.
1: Yeah, if you were not a good bass player, they would not have let you into that session on time. Right, right. And or a good hang. I mean, his era of Rod Stewart, wasn't he in the sex police era of... Do you know about that?
0: What? The sex... What?
1: Somebody in that late 70s era of Rod Stewart, I forget whether it was Carmine, I think it might have been Carmine Apathy, He's wearing a jacket in some paparazzi photo where it says sex police on it. So you've always tried to figure out, did they call themselves the sex police based on the number of groupies they were pursuing? Huh. What is the sex police? Good question. You,
0: I was just it's funny i completely utterly i would not have come close to answering this question a million years if you asked me who the drummer was in that brian May and friends project and it was none other than and i love this guy's drumming and love this band for a long time alan kratzer from ario speedwagon His founding wow. member left left speedwagon in
1: 1988 wow so you can't tune
0: a uh, piano but you can't tune a fish
1: yeah i, I I lost that one. <laughs> the REO puns are just great. But REO was always super hard rock adjacent, and no one really gives them the credit for that. Oh, Gary Richrath? Man. Well, where did Dave Amato come from? Dave Amato, oh, he played was with Ted Nugent. Guy.
0: Yeah. He's on the Ted Nugent Little Miss Dangerous album. How do I know that? Because I have that album. <laughs> yeah.
1: Some of those Nugent albums from the 80s are pretty interesting because it sounds like Foreigner. It sounds like your kind of 80s Rocky Four soundtrack, synth pop kind of stuff.
0: He was trying really, really hard because by 80, he was done. Yeah. And 81, he put out just, it was just a record Just Nugent, yeah. which doesn't have any, I don't think anything remembers. Then it's this one after that was, um, was uh, Penetrator. <laughs> and had a single called Tied Up in Love, which I had really dug. And you know who sings on that? Brian Howe, who I didn't was know in that. the later version of Bad Company. Oh. After Penetrator was Little Miss Dangerous, which is a really cool record, which sounds like it's it like a bad foreigner production. Yeah. Some electronic uh, but there's a there's a song in there that is one of my all time favorite Nugent songs called Painkiller, which is amazing.
1: Okay. But,
0: then after that, he did an album, and it's got a uh, a girl with boxing gloves and boxing shorts, spread eagles in front of turnbuckles. What the hell is it called? There was a couple, there's a great ballad on there called Spread Your Wings, and, oh, if you can't lick them, lick em. That's the name of the album. <laughs> and that came out in 88, and I believe I saw Nugent open up for Kiss at the New Haven Coliseum on that tour. And there's a song back when they were writing songs for It Seemed Like Everybody, there was a song uh, Nugent recorded that was by uh, an unreleased song that they wrote for Nugent, I guess, by Richie Sambora and John Bon Jovi. So we're digging real deep in your 80s Nugent (laughs) trivia. And I have all those albums still on cassette. How do I know this? Did I mention I'm moving?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And still on CD too. Well, you know, putting Nugent's personal habits and politics aside, I think that you have to respect his work ethic. How many hits did he have compared to Dave? One for every, like, eight Dave had.
0: Well, and the other thing, too, is he had a a nice second win there with Damn Yankees for two big albums.
1: For sure. But Nugent never stopped working or recording. Nope. He, He never stopped giving content to the people he cares about. So early into COVID, he started doing these campfire rant podcasts yeah and uh, they're they're a little ranty but he has his guitar in his lap and he's playing with a full setup so I just look at that and go so there's so many things broken record but there's so many things that Dave could do and the the other day I was interviewing an, an actor named Chris Stack who's in a lot of TV and film projects he was on some soap operas he was on interview with the vampire on amc you might recognize him if you see him and is interviewing him on some junket and i saw the name lemmy behind him on the wall and i went is that a lemmy from motorhead thing because you don't expect soap opera people to be (laughs) (laughs) motorhead fans and he's like yeah and he turned his camera and he showed me a classic van halen poster and a motorhead thing and i went by the way this is your interview but i'm writing a book about david lee roth that's coming out next year He's like, whoa, let's just <laughs> talk about Dave Lee Roth, not my new movie. And so later on, he made reference to it and again. I said, hey, well, it's better than his dance videos. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you haven't been seeing Dave's dance videos? And he's like, no, tell me about that. So what I'm getting at is there's all these people who love Dave who have no idea about the podcast or the dance videos. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like... Who are those things for if it's not even reaching the diehards?
0: Exactly. I mean, well, with any of these bands, that's you got to have. It takes a lot of work to reach the people who may not have bought an album in the last 30 years. I, and, and, and it well, might take and it takes a lot, I think, to reach them, reach those folks who are kind of now maybe in my age demo 50 55 i know i don't look a day over 40 54 but uh but uh but you know i mean listen i pay attention to this stuff like crazy so do you i think we're in the minority so i think what you need to do is you have to be i think you have to it's my theory of multiple impressions you have to be out there regularly consistently like you mentioned like you know to in the event that you know Listen. Somebody might not have gone to every one of Ted Nugent's tours, but maybe they went went out to, you know, went out to one show in the last, you know, fifteen years, fifteen summers of his, because they found out about it because he's out there all the time, and they were able to at that particular moment. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and if, if it's promoted right, and you're out there regularly, it's a good deal. The promoters are, are going to book you, and the and and um, and the fans going to come out and see it.
1: All agreed, all agreed. So I think that these days SEO is pretty cheap, that you can elevate things with Facebook ads. And if you see, if you click enough times in Classic Rock Stuff, the Van Halen news finds you online. But I still have that theory though, that they are deleting the negative comments. And I tried to, I tried to, I don't think I told you this offline. <laughs> I tried to see what would happen if I put a negative comment on a Dave.
0: I th- have a think about that, but tell me.
1: It did not get deleted, but it, it showed me how delusional a percentage of the fan base is. Because one of the people put on the video where he had basically the, the top hat on his crotch, and he was uh, dancing with his crotch uh, two videos ago. <laughs> they, somebody put a comment up like, man, that guy is always smiling 24-7. He's the happiest guy and I wrote back, I guess you really don't know him then. <laughs> did that stay up? It did. And then it led to a couple of people, what do you mean? Like, okay. So you're thinking this guy's had a revolving door of employees. It's just this happy ball of smiles and puppies all the time. He's not masking anything. With
0: God, crazy.
1: Yeah. Um, so. What-
0: it reminded me too. So every now and then I'll post on there. Like when you had the one with the ball, I was I just happened to post on that. That's my new workout routine. May have been Facebook, maybe I can't remember. Then the last one I posted, I think it was on there. Uh, and I just said, This is great. Would love to hear the rest of the John the album with John Five. And somebody p- comment on it. It's all out there if you really look for it. No, it's and not. I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's not. A- absolutely. You got you got not. you got five songs released a half an album, and what, one or two songs from the Sessions that ended up in the comic book, or three songs, is it?
1: Yeah. Uh, See, my take on the John 5 Sessions has changed over time, where people have said it's been done for 15 years or something like that, because depending on who you ask, the album was made in 2007, 2011, 2013, 2015. It's multiple Sessions. I don't think it was ever finished. I think he just tracked a bunch of stuff with with John 5 on and off, finished the sessions with them, and then decide to go through Axl Rose-like over-mixing, over-tweaking. So I don't think that they're done. And that's not something I've read anyone say. It's just in asking some of the insiders and also getting to learn more about how Dave works on stuff, I don't think that there is a John 5 album. What do you think?
0: I think, hmm. I mean, far be it to me to question anonymous sources, however. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, how much tweaking are you do? These are pretty simple recordings. A couple of guitars is pretty stripped down and bare, you know? I mean, it, he's been, John Five's been saying there's an album worth of material. Now, whether that's release worthy, I don't know, mm-hmm. but I would bet it's really, really close. And if you're going to, I mean, what he put out sounded fine, sounded like it's release-worthy, what he's put out so far. If you're going to put out those Van Halen covers sounding the way they are, put out the rest of the John Five stuff, even if it's not quote-unquote album-worthy, or not, fi- I shouldn't say that, and if, even if it's not fully
1: finished. Yeah. Well, he put out that thermo, I never forget the name Thermo-plastic of it. Thermo,
0: plastic, nuclear chair, something for the hurricane thing, the other thing, that thing.
1: Yeah, so... As heard on this podcast, when I interviewed the guy who played guitar and co-wrote that song, there's a mistake in there that they left in on the guitar part, and he told me he only tracked it once. So Mm -hmm. I think you get paid your day rate, you go, great job, great job. You leave, and you're like, okay, that's done, and it's not done. I think that there's some overthinking that's going on. And that's why I don't think that there is a John 5 album, meaning I don't think that there's a finished track listing, title, credits, et cetera, because these songs also were not registered with ASCAP or BMI. Some random things have been registered over time. Like remember the old discussion where he registered co-writes for himself with the Chemical Brothers, Right. they don't see things that way. (laughs) Right, right. And where I'm going with that is if you're somebody like John five and you have a publishing deal and your publishing deal might be contingent on the number of cuts you have a major label things to get your next advance. I think, I think that's called an MDRC minimum and m- minimum delivery requirement. I just remember this from my music business days. Yeah,
0: I'm not, I'm not sure, but I get, I know what you're, you're referring to. Yeah. Got
1: an, I got an idea you would be pushing for that stuff to come out because it would fulfill your option and get you onto your next publishing deal and or recruit, uh, recoup you and or get you more royalties. So the fact that that's not going on and he's not registering these songs is why I further think that there isn't an album. Hmm. And if I'm wrong, just say Codfish, Dave. We'll, we'll know.
0: Of course, given the other things that you found, like, oh, I don't know, six figures worth of money out there, Yeah. I mean, you know, albums that just don't show up on Spotify any longer. Maybe it's just something he forgot or just those, you know, sometimes the last 50 feet is the hardest. Right. You just you, you forget the last couple of things on that shopping list. You know, you got other things going on.
1: I just don't think he's interested in living in the past. And this is all the past. The guy wants to create for now. But at the same time, when Home Depot goes, sing these three songs that you've sung thousands of times, he'll take the check and he'll do it. So it's kind of like he does the most predictable and the least predictable things at the same time, which makes us confused as fan base.
0: Well, you're not as confused as Nigel is, are you? Um, <clears throat> let's get out of here on this real quick. Uh, yeah. Speaking of John 5, I eagerly uh, I was eagerly anticipating and, and uh, finally got around to listening his first interview he did since... He went out on the road since he joined Motley Crue essentially with Eddie Trunk. And I was hoping maybe at the tail end, Eddie would ask about those tracks, but he did not.
1: I don't think you're allowed to.
0: Oh, well he did. He did mention, hmm,
1: that's interesting. He
0: did mention, you know, Eddie did like kind of pontificate at the end about all the people you you played with. And he mentioned, he mentioned Leonard, you know, wrote songs for. I said Leonard Skinner. And uh, I forgot he wrote for Ricky Martin, for God's sakes. And, you know, I mean, I love John 5. I'm not exactly 100% sure on this fit with Motley Crue. I'd rather hear the songs they cooked up with. Um, I don't just, and I've never been a huge Crue fan, but some of the live stuff, I don't know. But that's just me. I'm
1: interesting.
0: I'd like to hear what they recorded with Bob yes, Rock. Interesting fun. they went into the studio so quick. And I'm real interested because if he's co-writing with Mick with uh, with co-writing with Nikki Sixx, I'm all for that.
1: It's a very interesting thing with Motley Crue to me about their guitar situation, because depending on who you ask, Mick Mars may not have played on any of the albums since 92.
0: Well, I can tell you he did not play on. All he did, as far as I know, was the solos on Saints of Los Angeles. That was DJ Ashbaugh uh, played every note on there. But the solos co-wrote every song. If I remember, Vince Neil does not have a single writing credit. Yeah, uh, on that, I I actually really like that record. I love the big sound they have on it. Um, I like that record a lot. A
1: hell of a song that that could. Oh be,
0: God, yes, you're welcome. Absolutely,
1: yes, thank you. Right, totally, yeah.
0: totally. And that, that record I thought was really really good. But DJ Ashman was the MVP on that thing.
1: Yeah, and so there's rumors of that. There's rumors that John Five may have played on some of the stuff in the past. I know that. Tommy Lee wasn't at all the sessions on some of the Motley Crue stuff when they were demoing and writing Stacy Jones from American Hi-Fi, Miley Cyrus, now in Matchbox 20, etc. He demoed stuff there. I know For which that,
0: album? Saints of Los Angeles?
1: Uh, the, they did this Greatest Hits album. Uh, has there been a band that had more Greatest Hits plus twos than Motley Crue? <laughs> 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 so I think this one was Red, White, and Crue. And the like the three songs Oh yeah, yeah, I have that. Yeah. There was a simple plan leftover song that Nikki finished.
0: That was that was the the greatest hits that came out when they did the first reunion.
1: The first of many reunions. Well, but
0: six, it was the first, two. yeah, it was the first of basically, yeah, the first the first big reunion, I should say.
1: Generation swine was arguably the first reunion from ninety-six. <laughs> and, there was another big reunion in 2004. I think there was another big one in 2004.
0: 2004, that's the one. Red, Wright & Crew came out. No, I know, I, yeah.
1: And then it had a weird cover of Street Fighting Man by the Rolling Stones on there. I don't know whose idea that was.
0: Yeah, that was a little iffy. I, speaking of Motley, we're going down different roads here, but I forgot about this, but Tommy Lee played on a record by the Smashing
1: Pumpkins. Yes, he did. Tommy Lee's credits, uh he was in a music video, I think, by Joy Drop. Um, he's close friends with Andrew M- McMahon from Jack's Mannequin. so there's stuff that he co-wrote with him. That was one of his close. Friends. Well, I can
0: tell you, I worked for the labels that put out Methods of Mayhem.
1: Yeah, MCA, right? Taking taking
0: Tommy on uh, promo tours, getting getting him through airports. I learned how I learned how to uh, I learned how to properly. Let your marijuana smoke exit out of a limousine. You never open the window full down. You just open it a little bit to get a draft. Uh, and then the company I worked for at the time did um, well. He did two, Methods Mayhem, the solo record MCA, and then another rec Tommy Land, the Tommy Land record. I worked for that label, that distributor and marketing company at the time. That came out. So he, had, he, his solo stuff was fun. I dug it. I mean, I was always surprised
1: it was her was all over that yeah yeah nick carter from the backstreet boys tommy was always friends with all the other bands and doing cameos that i i think he produced the electric love hogs that band eventually gave the world john from goldfinger so tommy's always been around yet he doesn't like to do a lot of the motley Crue stuff or they don't have him around the motley Crue stuff because nicky's using his guys that's well, he, been a huge thing
0: He out loud has said through the years, he hasn't said it too often the last few years. You haven't heard it. But over time, he had said, you know, he just kind of he was so into different kinds of music. He got bored with it.
1: Exactly. I mean, you're
0: essentially doing You're picking from the same well of 20 songs, let's say.
1: Yeah, that's what your singer wants to do. I mean, doesn't that And it's the greatest hits crowd. It does that kind of remind you of Van Halen, where your singer wants to do it a certain way, and then the other three musicians go, well, we can do whatever you want. We'll change the set list up every night. And right? like, no, th- these are the 12 things I'm comfortable but with. Le-
0: but let's give that singer credit, though, because I have never, I, oh, every tour, that, you know, 2007, the uh, uh, Different Kind of Truth Tour, the following tour in 2015, I had no problems with any of the set lists. They were all golden to me. They were great. I mean, to hear drop dead legs, come on. That's that was worth half the price of admission alone in twenty fifteen.
1: But I am with you there. I'm just saying you have right. a situation where the singers go, This is what I'm gonna do. And yeah. The yeah. People I hear you. songs go, but we'll do anything. Nope. This is what we're doing. And not every band works like that. I don't think cheap I think in Cheap Trick doesn't um doesn't the drummer write the set lists? Well,
0: They all kind of... I mean, that's the amazing, dude. Their set lists are still as incredibly deep. I mean, they'll do a month worth of shows and maybe only 15 15 songs will be repeated, if that. Which is is amazing.
1: And now we're seeing... And the
0: fans expect it now.
1: Well, Guns N' Roses, say what you want about this never-ending reunion tour. But the tour launched a couple of nights ago and they played three or four songs they haven't done in decades.
0: And you know what else I love? They play, I love it when bands do this. It's so rare they do. Cheap Trick does it. But yeah. they play music from an album that a bunch of the members weren't on Chinese Democracy.
1: Yes. I love that. F- uh, fun fact Do you know who co wrote the title track to Chinese Democracy? Which member of the Foo Fighters?
0: Um, yes, I do. It's the new drummer.
1: Yes. Yes. Josh Freese, who didn't yes. even know he co wrote it. So, allegedly, <laughs> he just got. He just saw a document and went, what? About oh, a month or that- two ago,
0: I revisited the incredibly lengthy and informative Wikipedia entry for Chinese democracy.
1: Oh, I've never read that.
0: Oh, the- dude, you gotta dig it. And you'll go, Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh shit, I remember when that leaked. Oh yeah, I remember when that was gonna be the release date. And then it wasn't. And I can tell you from being here at the time to- being here at the time and working in the same building with people, when that came out, it was a Best Buy exclusive finally. Yes. And it was basically like yeah, Geffen's taking the fucking check at this point because and yeah. because people because you know, retail is like, we've been waiting all this time, and Best Buy gets the exclusive. It's like, yeah, you know what? this is this, and so read that Wikipedia thread. It's pretty awesome. Did- uh, and I actually like that record, but i'm rem- I'm reminded of my most excellent quote that Chinese democracy is the equivalent of a James Cameron movie. <laughs> hugely, hugely produced over budget, bloated, but at the end of it, you you still, you can't look away.
1: I like Chinese democracy. I
0: do too, man. I'm with you, buddy. I'm with you.
1: Well, I have a a random recollection from that era. Does it talk about the A&R guy, uh, Todd Sullivan from Geffen, who is, he he signed Weezer to Geffen, and then he was briefly tasked with handling guns and roses and his one job was to get them to deliver Chinese democracy and if he was going to he had a big cash incentive waiting for him so his job began was briefly like to pass so like hey guys so how's the new album coming because he just wanted the check
0: yeah that goes into also it goes into uh goes into the time with Buckethead which was- oh which consisted of him having a, a building a chicken coop for him in the studio and he really apparently likes a lot of porn uh <laughs> <laughs> this wikipedia it dude it was it's amazing and i'm assuming i mean you know there's footnotes i'm assuming so a lot of it sounded familiar from things i've read over the years you know like big features in rolling stone there's a lot of pulled quotes and stuff from there and things like that and different things but I mean, I remember getting that record and just not being disappointed. The other thing, too, and it kind of got into real deep in the weeds in the recording of it, but there's a credit on there I've never seen in an album before. And it's bass and then something ultra low frequency bass or something. There's there's another bass track in there and it's credited on who plays. It's it's not just Tommy Stintz on bass. There's like, it's.
1: Oh. You have to look. I can't remember the
0: credit right now, but it's. I just. might have half the words wrong but it was literally something like ultra low frequency bass or something so
1: okay then i have a, a random question for him we don't know the answer but i'm going to ask this anyway so when you trace the history of buckethead apparently like he, he we know that he was in guns and roses but apparently he was a finalist to or offered the ozzy gig and ozzy turned him down ultimately cuz Buckethead wanted to be in gimmick, in character. He didn't yeah. want Brian. He wanted to be Buckethead. Do you think
0: Sharon threatened to freaking knock the bucket right off his fucking head? Uh, she would have. No, I made that last part up, but could, I could just imagine Sharon Osbourne going, "He's not going to wear a fucking chicken <laughs> bucket."
1: <laughs> well, do you think in all of the guitarists that Dave auditioned over the years, do you think he auditioned a young Brian Carroll? Because Buckethead was a guitar institute student. He was taught by Paul Gilbert.
0: Do you, you think that would have been out that would have got out there by now?
1: Well, I think that he would have auditioned as Brian Carroll and not as Right,
0: but do you think he 100. would talk to that? The interesting thing about that is that I mean, through all the books through the years, the list of people who played on Kiss Records, particularly yeah. in the 80s, or audition is really long.
1: Yeah slash uh had an audition over the phone Ingve Malmsteen had an audition over the phone everyone did at some point for Kiss it seems
0: yeah in fact you can find out more about that in the new book coming in October Kiss at 50 before that though and you'll get the announcement tomorrow Ozzy at 75 published by Motorbook so are you serious I'm serious yes sir you can pre-order it now at Amazon
1: because I, I to plug away, The Alice at 75, Fantastic, The Bowie at 75, that is one of the greatest series, and kudos to you and team for working on that stuff.
0: They're, they, I don't, I mean, sometimes you're just really proud of what goes out, you know, I mean, and those, and as a music cons, a consumer of music books, I'm kind of jaded, I was like, whoa, okay, this is like, this is some serious, serious, beautiful stuff here. Speaking of books, let's end <laughs> on this note. Let's end on the fact that your book is available to pre-order now.
1: Oh, thank you. It's D-L-DLR, DLR book. Yeah, it's on Amazon and in, in Barnes & Noble. It's still supposed to come out January 1st, 2024. Photos by Kevin Baldess from the band Lit. Bass player of Lit. Hell of a photographer beyond his work in Lit. Exclusive photos from him from Van Halen's last ever show in 2015. Some Dave photos from 2020. Forward by Diamond Dallas Page, WWE Hall of Famer. I'm not sure if I put that info out there yet. But uh, I, th- I think the words that I have written, I think they are still in the manuscript. I don't think I've been edited yet.
0: Uh, well, it looks really cool from what we can see uh, at, at Amazon.com, BarnesNoble.com, Bookshop.org. You name it, wherever you find, wherever you buy your books online, you can pre-order it now.
1: You can't so do so torrent not net. You can't get it there, but it yeah. does have a Google books thing. I think the cover is on Google books and maybe like a credits page. So wherever, wherever it is, where should I, where should I sign it? Where should I go? I'm <laughs> open to ideas.
0: <laughs> we should get to do a signing in the New York area. Come
1: on. Thinking about it. I mean, I don't want it to be like Artie Fuffkins signing in Spinal Tap where, Uh, Or at least a little signing slash book party at a local bar. We'll figure it out. But the line is, uh, I look forward to to it being out in the world. And I hope I'm not the only Van Halen-related product coming out in (laughs) (laughs) 2023.
0: On the one hand, you want the marketplace yourself. As a fan,
1: let's get some stuff out there. Exactly. And in the meantime, you know, hopefully we'll have an interview in the near future. We're talking with somebody as a tease uh, who may have known a pre-famed David Lee Roth in Pasadena. Uh, we are working on that one. And uh, we're going to see what Van Halen News Desk might want to work on with us. And or fantasy booking episode coming up with who our favorite uh, Dave back in band of all time would be.
0: Oh, I've got a lengthy list of people that I would love to see him play. With the caveat, you have to... T- Nobody from the Eat Him and Smile Band. That's the go-to, right? Oh, well, if he's going to, I've got a whole <laughs> list of other
1: people. Exactly. So, you know, more to come from us, whether or not we get more Dave's Dance moves. Uh, a David
0: Lee Roth, we'll do a David Lee Roth fantasy band draft.
1: <laughs> Works for me. But You know who
0: popped in my, my mind, popped in my head when I had this whole Mambo Slammers thing going in my mind? But, again, I was like, ah, he's probably too busy. Andrew Watt. He produced and played on Ozzy's last record, last two records. Yeah. Um, He's hot producer guitarist of the moment, it seems, the last few years. First broke onto the scene with a band called uh, California Breed with Glenn Hughes and um, Jason Bonham. And those guys are recording, uh, is it the fourth or fifth Black Country Communion record with Joe Bonamassa and Derek Sherinian? We've got all this music news we've been doing out here. So, I mean, my goodness, it's a great year for rock. So, I, I think we'll,
1: we'll have to say a prayer. I, if there's one dream interview that I like to get for this podcast who's not ever told his Dave story, and I don't know if it's that it's just he, he didn't have a great time, or he's just moved on or he's under an nda i want chris griotti to be on an episode you please tell me you know who he is if not i'll make it really quick
0: make it really quick for everybody who doesn't know
1: chris griotti was supposed to be in that vegas band the, when you see the still images of the vegas band from 20, late 2019 yes he's in a few of the still photos and dave cut him and another person another guitar player andrew martin from that band. And Brett Tuggle as well.
0: Because he so, was supposed to be a rhythm guitarist in there.
1: And Chris was playing lead. But since then, Chris is writing tons of hits. And producing tons of hits for other people. Not just Poppy. Uh, the awesome performance art, artist Poppy. But Youngblood. He, uh, t- did he do the Kim... What's her name? Kim Petras, I think, worked on. He's doing all this A-list stuff. Like, Dave would be the smallest credit he'd have at this point in time, but Chris Briotti is the mystery man that eventually needs to be on here.
0: I dig it. On that note, let's get out of here.
1: Let's get out of here, Steve. Thank you for making tonight happen out of your busy schedule, and uh, thanks to anyone who braved this episode.
0: (laughs) Take care.